Your pillow knows you're about to cry for something. Well, I've got good news for you today. <laughs> he sees. He sees. This is the reason why God is going to do amazing things in your life today. Because he sees. Every tear. Every pain. And sometimes some of you are trying to break a habit and you are failing and you are always tearing at yourself. And, and you know when you read in the Bible they say he rent his clothes. That's you. You're always saying, ah, oh, I'm, I'm fed up of myself. I'm fed up of what I'm failing to do. God see. Are you with me? Are you with me? And he knows you're worth delivering. Mm, some of you still got a long way to go. Listen, these things happen because he loves you. They don't happen because you deserve them. Mm. So he says, Moses, Moses. Moses has just been running away. He's a fugitive. Moses has killed a man. Moses has done all sorts of things. And yet God calls him by name. Yet 
God called Moses. And yet people were rejecting him. And on top of that, he became a fugitive. Pharaoh heard that he had killed an Egyptian. And Pharaoh decided, I'm going after you. I'm killing this adopted so-and-so. And he went after him. He wanted to kill him. And Moses was on the run for the rest of his life. From a prince to a fugitive in the wilderness. Do you know what happened? It's an interesting story. When he got in the wilderness, he arrived at this place. He went by the wellside and he found some shepherds and some and, and they were they were they were feeding their flock and, and then and, and they were watering their flock. And then there were some women as well coming out. These beautiful women were coming out to come and collect some water. And the shepherds were harsh to the women. And Moses now showed us his other side as well. He went after the shepherds and dealt with them. He wasn't such a nice... You know, when you hear in the Bible, you hear that Moses was a very meek man. He wasn't a timid man. He went and he went after the shepherds. He was a skilled prince. And he went after the shepherds. And the shepherds ran away. And he made these women draw water peacefully. And he helped them. He knew which side his bread was buttered, right? Because those women opened the door for him to have a place to stay, one of them became his wife. And then he began to serve her father for the dowry because he had nothing. So he served Jethro for the dowry. And now he was doing it for 40 years, tending his father-in-law's sheep. Just for the upkeep. Didn't have anything to his name. And he hears one day, Moses, Moses, he does my name. He hears. He knows you. He knows my every thought. And he sees each tear that falls. And he will God loves you. And that's why, you, you know, when you stop believing for the things that you're believing God for, you do yourself a disservice because your God loves you. From where I sit mostly, I find people always give up at the 11th hour. People are always stopping believing when God was just about to do it. Always happens. Sometimes you're praying with someone and you're praying with them and you're helping them and you're helping them. And when you wear your standing spiritually as their spiritual leader, you're looking at it and you're saying, wow, only a little bit to go here. God is about to do something. And then they say, ah, I've changed my mind. I'm doing something else. And you go, oh, no. Hello? 40 years. 40 years. And he still knows his name. Why didn't you call my name when I was when it was only ten years in? Why didn't you call my name, God, just within that first week? Why didn't you call my name when it was just twenty years in? You knew I was believing you. I was stronger in my faith then than I am forty years down the line. <laughs> Doesn't matter, because when He calls your name, you know He has called your name. <laughs> Some of you, today is your powerful day. You know, today is the day he changes things. But I fasted and he never did it, Pastor Phil. Well, <laughs> he's going to do it now. 
Hello? Am I going to tell me some faith in the house? If you forgot, this is about faith. Hello? Because many Christians have forgotten that this is about faith. They think it's about intellect and understanding and analyzing scriptures. Listen, there's time for that. But this is really about faith. The whole journey is about believing. Yeah? Especially when you don't see it. I was going to share something with you called blinded by sight. Sight can blind you. The Bible says we do not walk by sight. We walk by faith. This is about faith. Hello? He knows your name. Come on. Tell your neighbor. He knows your name. I'm about to finish and then I'm going to pray for you. My intentions are to pray for anybody, everybody in here today. So, you know, I'm about to finish. He knows your name. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. God knows his name. God knows what he's been through. And God says, okay, do not come near. First, take off your shoes. Because now you are standing on holy ground. Something has changed. Hello? Something has changed. Everywhere he had his shoes on. All of a sudden he has come to a place he's been told, you cannot wear your shoes here. Hello? Are you with me? You have come on holy ground. <clears throat> There's something I want to say. You see, when God declares your name and calls your name and declares your season by calling your name, the ground has changed. Your shoes can't go there anymore. Are you with me? Hmm? Look at your shoes. Look at your shoes. Look at your shoes. I don't want you to forget this. Your shoes, these shoes. These shoes, if we ask them to tell us a story, they will tell us everywhere you have been today. Your shoes. Some places you went alone, some places you went with people, but they will tell us everywhere you have been. Are you with me? Yes. Your shoes. If we ask them a story, they will tell us where you have been every time you want those shoes. Even places you have forgotten you wear. Your shoes can tell you. Hello? If only shoes could talk. Yes. And somebody say, no, 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 I bite. <laughs> I bite my shoe. No, shouldn't talk. Hello? Your shoes. Your shoes can be used to write your entire history accurately. Even better than what you remember it. Mm. So Moses, his shoes, they carry his story, his pain, his, his disappointment. The dust is gathered in the foreign place and the dust is gathered in where he is now. Are you with me? His shoes represent his experiences in life, his pain, his trouble. Everywhere he has been as a fugitive now. And God says, no, 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 no. Now that I'm calling your name, I want you to take those shoes off. Amen. If you wanted a title for today, is take your shoes off. Hello. This is by grace. And in the ground of grace, your shoes come off. Hello. You can't be 
You can't be held back by where you have been or what you don't have, the experiences you've had. Are you with me? Your shoes can tell us about how bad you've been or how good that your shoes can. But God says, no, 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 you have come into a ground where your experience does not matter. You have come into a ground where you take them off, leave them out. Are you with me? Oh, so you can't say your upbringing doesn't, doesn't, doesn't warrant you what you're believing God for. You can't say that. I don't care how you were brought up. Take those shoes off. In the ground of grace, things change. The God we believe in can change things. Do you, do you, do you, do you believe in a God that changes issues? Yes. I want to provoke your faith a little bit today. The God you believe in can shift things in one day. The God you believe in can change things. Do you hear me? He can change things. He can give you what your shoes say you don't deserve. That's why you need to take them off. He says, take your shoes off. What am I saying? I'm saying as we stand on this ground today, I don't want you to depend on what you did yesterday. Whether you fasted or not doesn't really matter. I don't want you to depend on any of it. I don't want you to depend on the negatives. I don't want you to depend on what you, you believe hasn't happened yet. That I'm not qualified because I haven't done that yet. I don't want you, for this moment, I just really don't want you to depend on any of that. And just dare trust God. Just dare trust God. That's perhaps the best thing you ever did this week was turn up here today and just dare trust God that perhaps he can shift something here now hello are you with me yeah. that's all I want and that's all I want he can shift something here right now mm. Perhaps next week you can stop the service and say, no, no, stop preaching. I've got a testimony. <laughs> oh. How many are feeling fired up within them? They're like, yeah, I've got something that God can shift right now. I want it to shift right now. I, 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 want, I don't even want to think about it too much because it becomes very impossible when I think about it. But I just want to dare believe that my shoes don't matter. I'm standing on holy ground. Let me tell you a story. In John chapter 11, there's a story of Lazarus. The Bible says Lazarus was a friend of Jesus. But Lazarus fell ill. Jesus didn't come. Hello? Day one, day two, day three, day four. Jesus didn't show up. Lazarus became critically ill. Jesus still didn't come. I don't know how many days it took, but Jesus never turned up and Lazarus died. And yet, and yet, his friend can raise the dead. And yet, his friend knows his name. And yet, his friend is the son of God. He still dies. And people thought because he's dead now, Jesus is going to rush. No, day one, day two, day three, Jesus doesn't turn up. Day four, he decides, let's go. He knows your name. 
He knows your name. He set you up. He set you up. You thought things were failing, right? But he set you up. He set you up and put you in a place where when he shouts your name, you will hear it. And you will know it is God. It is not me. This has not happened because of my effort. You will know. He set you up. He thought he wasn't hearing. He turned up day four. And, and one of his sisters runs to Jesus and says, Why, why, why are you coming now? Why you? Why didn't you come day one? Why, why didn't you come before he died? Because if you were here, he wouldn't have died. We didn't need to have a funeral. Where were you? But listen, he just set you up. <laughs> you can't understand God with this brain of yours. You have to believe God. If you go for understanding, you'll be messed up. Because he's bigger. He says, my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are... It's impossible for you to ever capture my thoughts and understand them. Unless I make you understand. Huh? So she's going, this doesn't make sense. When we hear that our friends are critically ill, we turn up. What's this? And you call yourself a prophet? And he turns up. He says, no, no. Just, just show me where you lay him. Show me where you buried him. Crazy. Well, everybody is thinking he just wants to go and pay his, his last respects. Obviously, that's what they are thinking. <laughs> And he told this woman something. When he wrote the stone away, and she says, my, 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 my master, master, I, I, I know you can heal. I know you can do amazing things. I've seen you do great miracles. But this guy has been dead for four days. He's thinking, are you sure we should be rolling the stone away? And Jesus said, didn't I tell you that if only you believe, you will see the glory of God? Do you hear me? It's not about her, it's just about if she just believed. You cannot understand what he's about to do. This man's been dead four days. You cannot get what he's about to do. Just believe. Faith, most people think faith is the long cut. Faith is the shortcut to getting what God really wants us to do. Hello? Because if you go for understanding, you will never get it. Nobody goes to a four days you know, old cops and begins to roll the stone off. And what is, what is he going to do? The Bible says he shouted at me. <laughs> he knows my name. I don't care which day he comes. If he shouts my name, I'm all right. He shouted a name. He, he didn't just say, oh God, oh God, you know, all things. No, he said, Lazarus, come forth. He shouted the name. God is going to call your name today. Amen. <laughs> God is going to call your name today. The Bible says every family on earth is named from him. Yeah. He's going to call your name, your name, your name, your name, your name. Some of you are literally going to hear God call you by name. You In this place, some of you are literally going to hear God shout your name. And when God calls your name, I'm telling you, when God calls your name, the confusion dies. When God calls your name, everything just, 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 it just dies. When you just hear God mention your name, everything just goes, it's 
stand still because he is God and he's mighty. Because huh? huh? he's Elohim. you. Yeah? Maker of the earth. Uh-huh. Let's stand up. We're going to have time to pray. Shoes off. Shoes off. Actually. Do you hear what I'm saying? Shoes off. Today, God is going to meet you right here. And he's going to release speed. Here's a sign after we pray for you here. Here's the sign you're going to find in your life. There's going to be speed. The things that you are believing God for. Again, come on somebody. Who's saying, God, there is something I need God to do in my life. Okay, there's going to be speed and you will know it is unnatural. Are you with me? Are you with me? If it takes three months for such things to happen, they will happen within a week. So you will know your God met you. If it takes six months, they will happen within what? Seven days. So you will know that your God met you. Are you with me? It doesn't make a difference if God does not shorten the time. If it is God, you will see. Are you with me? Yeah. He knows your name. He knows your name. He has called you by name. By the way, when you hear the phrase, he knows your name, it means he knows everything about you. He knows everything about you. Every little thing about you. That's what it means. He knows your name. The things you're struggling with. The things you're grappling with. The secret struggles within your heart. The thoughts that are bringing you down. He knows your worst ideas. Your best ideas. He knows your name. He knows your name. And he still loves you. He still loves you. He still loves you. Come on, say after me. Lift your hands. Say after me. Father in heaven. I thank you that you know my name. And here I am. Ready to listen. Ready to be ministered to by you. In the place where I'm standing, I take off my shoes. I do not depend on my experience. No, on my strength. Not even my weakness. I depend on your grace. In the name of Jesus. Now begin to pray in the spirit. Begin to pray in the spirit. Begin to pray in the spirit. Thank you, Jesus. My God, I thank you. I thank you. I thank you. For a short time up. We've been doing a series on the King's Letters. And uh, we've been doing that series. Uh, Bright did a couple of letters. Uh, we are looking at the letters that Jesus actually wrote to the church. Because it is quite uh, interesting sometimes to think, uh, if you sit there and you think, what is Jesus really saying to the church? Does Jesus have anything to do with the church? Is it just people running the church? And sometimes you can think so much that you forget that Jesus actually had some clear things that he said about the church. And one of the clear things that he did was to write letters to churches. Are you with me? And so we sat down and we said, let's do a series where we're going to look at the letters that Jesus wrote to the churches. Now, many of you, it's the first time you're going to hear us talk about that. So let me give you just a little bit of background. Why are we doing the letters? 
Because we believe letters are important. Especially nowadays, right? You won't sit down to write a letter and you've got nothing to say. Hello? Hi. You know? I remember we were, we, we, when we traveled, Debbie and I, we were stuck at the airport and, 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 and uh, because the weather was bad in, in Washington, the weather was really bad and they canceled a lot of flights. And as soon as, and, 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 and so when we got to our gate, they had closed the gate and they, they miscommunicated the time, they were boarding the plane. So they sent us to the customer services. So as we, we went to the customer services, we found a big queue. A very long queue. Actually, we queued for about two hours, three maybe. American evangelist, four hours. So, evangelists <laughs> like to exaggerate. <laughs> so, we queued uh, for about three hours. But here's how you know a, a British person. Quickly, people had already written a letter of complaint in that queue. <laughs> you don't mess with the British, right? A letter is written quickly. People were writing a letter about what has happened. That we're going to complain to American Airlines already. And yeah, there was me with my beloved mind. I didn't even think about writing a letter. <laughs> when we write a letter, we are writing it for a reason. Yeah. Amen? Amen. And so when Jesus wrote letters, it's important that we pay attention to the letters he wrote because they carry in them a message that is important to us as the church. Amen. Amen. Awesome. So that's why I thought, wow, great. Let's look at these letters. So let us go. Today we're going to Revelation chapter 1 and we're going to read, chapter 2, sorry, we're going to read from verse 8. We are doing our fourth letter today, but we are not doing them in order. So the fourth letter will be the second letter. That's confusing. We're doing the letter to Smyrna. Amen. The letter to the church in Smyrna. Now, you don't know. You can pronounce that whichever way you want. One of those. Revelation chapter 2, 8 to 11. We're going to look at this letter. Revelation chapter 2. I'm going to read from verse 8 to 11. If you're there, say amen. amen. Revelation is still the last book in your Bible, I'm sure. If it's not the last book in your Bible, you're using the wrong thing. 2, 8 to 11. The Bible says, To the angel of the church in Smyrna, write, These are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Verse 10. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Verse 11. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. Amen. And the reading of the word is always blessed. Now listen, listen. The letter to the church at Smyrna. Smyrna is another church that was a thriving church 
in a very thriving city. Now, all the letters, the seven letters in the book of Revelation are written to churches in Asia Minor, what we call Asia Minor, right? And most of them are still found, in the, those places are found in modern day Turkey. Are you with me? And all the seven letters, actually, Bright mentioned this in his other teaching about how this was actually a mail route that they used to take. Mail, like, like post, you know? When they take post, they used to go, obviously, by, by land in those days, right? There was no by air mail. And they would take a certain route to drop their post. And it forms a circle. Hello? These churches were so interlinked that if you send a message to one church, it will go across all the other churches. These seven churches. The other fact I will mention about that is why did Jesus write to the seven churches? Well, the Bible doesn't say exactly why he chose these churches, but do you understand that after Jesus died and rose again, and he says to the apostles, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You remember that? And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, that's the region, Jerusalem, the city, Judea, the region, then Samaria, the outer regions, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. That's what he said, right? Yeah. So they focused on Jerusalem, and when they had focused on Jerusalem for a few years, there was persecution that came. Acts chapter 8 shows you that. They started being persecuted. Paul and the rest of the persecutors came and started killing Christians. And because they were killing Christians, the Christians ran off from Jerusalem. Are you with me? So in Acts chapter 8, you find a story of Philip going to Samaria. That story inspired my father to name me. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. I, I, you know, I come from a family of eight. And, 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 uh, and the truth is, my, the, the only time my father was very spiritually filled to name somebody was me. That's a joke. Don't tell my brother. <laughs> but, but Philip goes to Samaria. You, you understand? So the gospel began to increase. Those that were here on Tuesday, I was talking about that. How to turn affliction into something that gives glory to God. People who were running for their lives, scared because they were about to be killed, turned their affliction into reaching out and giving life to other people. Amen. Amen. It's not over till God says it's what? It's Come on, you hear it? It doesn't matter what affliction comes in your life. If you really sit quietly before God and begin to seek God, he will show you how to turn that into something that brings glory to him. Amen. Are you with me? Yeah. Are you with me? Yeah. If people didn't do that, some of us would not be saved, saved by now. Hmm? Mm -hmm. Hello? Hi. The very first man that really became my pastor in my life is a man called Reverend Dennis Williams. He was in the British Army many years ago. And then in the British Army he had cancer. And he had cancer, he had bowel cancer. And when he had bowel cancer he was an atheist. And somebody ministered to him. And he gave his life to Christ. And when he gave his life to Christ, a few years later, he got healed and delivered from that bowel cancer. And he decided to go to a country called Zambia and plant a church in a, in a small town called Livingston. And by many orchestrations, I ended up in that town as well. 
and he became my pastor. How did he become my pastor? Because whilst he was in that little town, he was doing a lot of cancer outreach. He had turned the affliction that he had into something that he was using to preach. And out of that cancer outreach, actually, a church was birthed. Are you with me? Hello? So, when the church scattered everywhere, they scattered everywhere, eventually because of persecution, there was a high concentration of apostles like John, like Paul, in Asia Minor. Do you understand? It's almost as if the headquarters of the church moved spiritually to Asia Minor. So then you begin to hear of Ephesus, and you begin to hear of Philadelphia, not the American one, that's a fake one, the real one. Then, then, you understand? That's how come when Jesus is writing letters, he writes to Asia by the way, because this is where now the church is really thriving and stuff is happening. And he says, I need to talk to my people. Hello. So Smyrna was a little city that was actually thriving. Those of you that have, that have been following this series, if I say Smyrna was, was, was competing with Ephesus, you understand what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. It was a Roman city and it was competing. Actually, they say Smyrna was the most beautiful of the cities. Amen? Amen. I was tempted to say very beautiful. Very, very beautiful. And they said, actually, Smyrna had the widest roads and it was paved and it was the cleanest of the big cities in that area. And it was thriving. There was a lot of gold. Hello? It was rich. Are you with me? That's the context. I'm not going to spend time on that. So there was a church. How many know God is always doing something anywhere, everywhere? There was a church. There was a group of believers in that city that Jesus saw fit that he should write a letter to. And when he writes the letter, he begins the letter by saying, I am the one who died and is alive. Amen? Yeah. Now watch how every time Jesus begins a letter, every time, this is lesson number one, watch how he addresses you. When God comes to you and he says, I am the first and the last, it means he's about to do something in your life. Hello? When God comes to you and he says, I am the God of your father, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It means he's about to remind you that you are not really listening properly. He's faithful. Are you with me? It's like if I, if I challenge you to a fight, like a proper fight. Yeah? You might start talking about the fights you've had before, right? Yeah? It's context. You don't talk about the fights you had before if you're writing an exam. It, it doesn't apply. It's like, oh, this exam, oh, it can't beat me. You know, I beat Dan one day. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. But I passed an exam before. I have never failed an exam, so therefore, I'm going to deal with this one, right? So when Jesus begins the letter by saying, I am the one who was dead and is alive, the first and the last, there is something he's about to say to these people. 
Hello. Hi. Watch how God always addresses you. Amen. I am dead. I was dead and now alive might mean he has seen it all. Alright? You might be going through something and he's saying to you, look, I was dead, but now I'm alive. So he's like, I have seen it all. It also might mean I have power beyond death. Right? It's like, what are you worried about? I was dead, but now I'm alive. Do you understand what it means? Your situation is not impossible. What else does it mean? You are in good hands. Hello? Hi. It also means I am tried and tested. Are you with me? This stuff I'm telling you becomes very important when you begin to see the letter and the kind of people he's writing to and what they are going through. He says, I I've tried and tested. I have overcome. And in every way, you are, you guys are in good hands. Amen? Amen. And then he goes on and he says, I know your poverty or your lack financially. Hello? Hi. You see, the irony is that they live in a prosperous city, but they're not prospering financially. Now, Jesus is not saying you are cursed. He's not saying you're disobedient. He's saying, I know you are going through lack at the moment. Amen? Uh, just relax. In this world of high achievers, sometimes people get under pressure because they are not having enough at the moment. Hello? It's okay. It's okay to aspire for more. It's okay to fight until you win in life. Are you with me? It's okay to increase your earning potential. Oh, I didn't get an amen? Amen. Are you serious? Don't want to increase it? It's okay. But you see, Jesus has this thing to say. I understand even when you're going through financial luck, I know you are going through financial luck. Are you? Hello? Are you? Yeah? I know you're going through financial luck. I, I, I think because you know who's talking, it kind of feels great to just know that he knows. Mm. Yeah. To just know that he knows that you don't have enough at that point. Hello? Uh, it's going to get great. The third thing he says, I know the slander coming from your supposed brethren. Now look, these people, you understand why he said to them, I am the first and the last. Because they're going through stuff. Number one, they don't have enough. They're struggling financially. And then he says also to them, look guys, I know you're struggling financially. On top of that, I know you are being slandered. There are people speaking evil of you. Come on, he knows. Hello. Hi. I know some of you, some people speak evil of you. They've never had anything good to say about you. It's alright. God knows. It's okay. God knows. Amen? That's right. Hmm? Some people don't need convincing. You will never convince them to say anything good about you. You can buy your most expensive shoe and they will still look down on it. Do you hear me? You can't live for people. You can never really live to please anybody. 
Even if they say something good about you today, what about tomorrow? Some people are just like, will slander you all the time. The best you can do is change your phone number. <laughs> no, you don't have to do that. Just block them. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. But do you get what I mean? So Jesus says, I actually know that you're being slandered. So I'm going to say, don't, don't, don't hit back. It's okay. Jesus knows you're being slandered. Are you with me? Yeah. And then he brings up the fourth thing. The fourth thing is that they are being slandered by those who call themselves Jews, but are actually a synagogue of Satan. So betrayal. Betrayal by your brothers. Those who call, you may put it this way today. Those who call themselves Christians. Ouch. Hello. How many know church can become tough some days? Some of the places where you get real hurt sometimes is in a place like this. Yeah, because we all become vulnerable and we just like, we love God and we're trusting God. And if anybody is malicious, they really take or take advantage. Yeah? You've probably been hurt in church before. It doesn't mean church is bad, it just means people gather. Oh, you missed that. I mean, it doesn't mean church is bad, it just means people gather. Yeah. You know when people gather? Yeah. People gather. Do you understand? Mm -hmm. Stuff happens. Because not everybody is the same. Hello? Yeah. So, in case you're feeling betrayed, listen. Jesus knows. Now, in our modern day wonderful preaching, you expect me to be saying to you, He's going to sort it out by tomorrow. Hallelujah. Yeah. Well, He didn't say that to them. He was just like, I know you're suffering. I know you don't have money. I, I know they are slandering you. I know they are betraying you. They are of the synagogue of Satan. I feel like Jesus is, 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 is if he could use a, a wonderful a West African expression, he would say, don't mind them. Don't mind them all. The fifth one he brings about, he says, and now I have a prophecy for you. The devil is about to even make it worse. You guys are about to be jailed. You guys are about to be persecuted. <laughs> no wonder he began with, hey, I was dead. Now I'm alive. Do you understand? Because it's like there's so much hip upon hip coming on these lives. He says, for 10 days, by the way, if I had time, I would explain that 10 days prophetically is not really 10 days. Okay, it's not really 10 days. You remember the, the, the dream that Pharaoh had and, the, and, and there was seven kettles and seven what, what? It, it turned out it was the seven men, seven years. Do you understand? So it's not really talking about 10 days. Those 10 days of persecution, I mean, we can all handle it. <laughs> it's not 10 days he's it, it, talking about a period of time a complete long period of suffering and actually historians have seen have shown that actually for about 40 years especially the first 10 years 
there was trouble in this place. All right? He said that for 10 days, the devil is about to throw some of you in jail. Now there's you thinking, wow, you've got problems. <laughs> They're like, they, they believe in Christ, but they don't have money. They believe in Christ. They don't even have good friends. People are slandering them. They still believe in Christ. And Christ comes and gives them this word. You are about to be thrown in jail by the devil. Jesus, why don't you stop the devil? <laughs> That's what I want to talk about. Are we going to finish? Why don't you just stop the devil, Jesus? He reveals something. He says the reason the devil is going to throw you in prison in 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 in, in, in subtext and I'm allowing it is because he's about to test you. T E S T. Turn to your neighbor and say it is a test. It is a test. That's all it is. Are you with me? That's all it is. Some of us are going through stuff, but I want you to understand it's just a test. If you do not go through testing in life, you do not graduate to the next level. I read somewhere it says, what good is faith if it's not tested? Hello? If you've got a degree on you, it's because you passed some tests. If you've got any profession on you, it's because you passed some tests. Hello? Yeah. Well, we know about that when it comes to school, but we don't think about it when it comes to life. It's the same. Hello? Yeah. If you've ever tried to start a business, you know you're going to pass some tests. Nobody will ask you. Nobody will sit you down and have an exam and, and all that. But you just know that you've got to pass some tests to have a successful business. Hello? Even if you wanted to build a house, whatever you wanted to do in life, nobody will set the exam, but you know life itself is an exam. Oh, yeah. You're going to pass some tests. It's just a test. Hello. Uh, I'm here to tell you that in this letter, Jesus is encouraging us. I want you to be, get encouraged and understand that the stuff, the heaps of stuff that may come and you're going through in your life does not mean you have departed from God. One, It does not mean you have sinned even too. It does not even mean you are cursed. No. It may just mean God is after your faith. Are you with me? Are you with me? There's a song they used to sing. They said, through it all, through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus. Learn to trust in God through it all and through it all. I've learned to depend upon His word. Amen. Well, you can't sing that song unless you're going to go through some testing. I'm going to handle just two things about testing James chapter 1, verse 3. And we're going to finish. Two things. It's a test. Are you with me? Yeah. You're going to pass the test. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. James chapter 1 verse 3, the Bible says, My brethren, the New King James Version, count all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Are you with me? But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete.
complete, lacking nothing. <laughs> James chapter 1 verse How do you get to the place of lacking nothing? When you look at yourself, you say, I am strong. I'm lacking nothing. When you look at your faith, you say, I am strong. I am lacking nothing. How do you get to the place of lacking nothing? Because we all want to get to that place. The biblical word for lacking nothing is called shalom. The peace of God. Nothing missing, nothing broken. Shalom. Actually, the Jews, they, they, when they greet each other, they say mashalom, which means peace be upon you. It means lacking nothing. You know, in the Bible, the word for shalom is the same word again, which means prosperity. So when somebody says peace be upon you, they are saying, may your family prosper. May you do well. Hello? Hi. It's called in English wishing each other well. Lacking what? And the Bible clearly says that the way to lacking nothing is to go through testings. So he says, count it on joy when you go through all various trials, 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 that word, trials. That means everything we read about to the church in Smyrna. Everything. Trials. When people slander you, when you lack in your own pocket, when you don't have, that's why, that's why it, you know, it, it's not advisable to trust God and then be a panicker. I don't know whether there's such a word. Yeah? There are some people, there's so much panic when they've only got 10 pounds left in their account. And then there are certain people that, you, you know, they, they, they trust God, even when they've got zero pounds. Are you with me? Yeah. <laughs> I'd rather walk with the one that has zero, got zero pounds but does not panic. Yeah? Because when he says count it all joy when you go through all these things, it means have an understanding that this is a test. You soon pass it and you come to a place of strength. Yeah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Which prophet sang and said, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger? Why are you laughing? I know, I know, Joy, I know you know. Hello? Hi. What's the second thing? Okay, so you're going to count it on Joy. You're going to stop panicking and count it on Joy. And understand it's just a test. You know, this too shall work. Are you with me? Because this reveals to you that God is more interested in your faith than in your apparent success. He's more interested in you being sound and for real, finding a good life in Him than in an apparent success. The world thinks differently. People are more interested in what you wear, what you drive, what's your postcode. And that's just apparent success. It doesn't mean people are successful. Hello? Hi. 
It doesn't mean people are successful because they look like they are successful. Real success is being sound in yourself. Hello? Sound in yourself. And God is interested in you being sound. In, 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 in you being sure of who you are. Being sure you are loved by God. Let's begin there. Are you with me? Let's begin there. Let, let, be sure that you are loved by God. Be sure that you have a purpose on earth. Be sure that you are being taken somewhere by God. He's going to give you a future that you've only dreamed of. When you become sure, he's more interested in that. So as you go through testing, understand every test will pass because God is not a liar. The last thing, second thing on that is this. If you read in another translation, the Passion Translation, it says, For you know that when your faith is tested, it steers up power within you to endure all things. Somebody says, tears up power. Tears up power. Yeah. Another thing that we all love in life, apart from reaching a place where we lack nothing, is this little word called The reason some things have not shifted in your life, I was saying on Tuesday, is because of a lack of Because if you want to move this thing, just some more power will move it. Are you with me? Yeah. The reason things that you think are impossible in your life still stand and look impossible is because power has not been applied yet. But when power greater than your challenge comes, it will shift and melt. We sing a song, it says, the hills melt like wax at the presence of the Lord. Yeah. It's just a power issue. I was saying on Tuesday, darkness is, can be quite terrifying. If you switched off the lights and there was no lights anywhere. You know, when I, when I go back to, to my village in Malawi, my father's village, where he came from, it still doesn't have electricity. And, 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 and at night, it can get so dark. Like, dark, dark, dark. You know, you know, the blackness of darkness? <laughs> you know that one? Yeah? Hello? Hi. It can get so dark at night. But it's amazing how that terrible darkness can be defeated as soon as you introduce some sort of power in terms of light. Yeah. All right? doesn't matter how big a darkness is. Just some power which can generate some light. Where did it go? It disappears so quickly. Listen, what you know, what you have is a problem of power. I'm going to finish there. What most of us have is a problem of what? Now, the Bible says, when you go through the testing of your faith, that is what steers up. Do not run from the test. Are you with me? Because that's what's going to empower you. Hey, 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 hey. I'm preaching better than you people. Are. I'm going to go outside and preach to the people outside. And they will say amen. amen. Huh? Listen to me. When you go through stuff, that's when power gets steered up. Are you with me? Are you with me? Yes. Let me finish with the story. So in the same place of Smyrna, this very same place called Smyrna, 
There was a bishop there many years later. Some say 10 years later. And there was a bishop called Polly 